Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We have a special guest speaker this week, Troy Nielsen, and he's going to talk to us about Jonah. Today, I'd like to take a look at an Old Testament story that's in every kid's Bible, the story of Jonah. But I'd like to take a look at the story beyond the kid's version. I'd like to take a look at Jonah and maybe talk about what he was really thinking when God asked him to go and share God's love with them. This is after the storm and Jonah getting thrown overboard and him spending three days in the belly of a great fish. You can turn to Jonah in your Bibles or log on to your smartphones right now, but as you turn, I just want to give you a little background to the story. Some historians think that Nineveh was in modern-day northern Iraq, and even back then, not a huge travel destination. Jonah didn't want to go there. He, he wanted to go to Tarshish. Nineveh is actually so far away, it's not even in the maps of some of your Bibles. And I think I know why he wanted to go to Tarshish. It's probably nicer there. There's a beach. It's where the party is. What happens in Tarshish stays in Tarshish. God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and share my love with them. And Jonah says, no, God, I, I don't want to go there. It's, it's too hot there. I like staying cool. Can't I do what you want me to do in a city that I choose that I like? As I, I've looked into Jonah, I think the main lesson of the story is pointed towards good people. Jonah knew all the right things to do. He, he just had a tough time doing them. I think that chapters three and four of the book of Jonah is what this story is all about. The point of the story is not directed at people who think that they're rebellious. It's pointing at people who think of themselves as good people. Here's the point. Many of us who are Christians are good people. Many of us are doing our best. We're paying our taxes. We're going to church. We smile and wave at our neighbors. Many of us have surrendered to God's moral will for our lives, but many of us have never surrendered to how God wants to use us with the people we interact with each and every day. So let's pick up this story. After the storm, and Jonah has now made his way to Nineveh, and we'll pick it up in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. On that day, Jonah entered the city. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He shares his message, and it's simply, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. It's not a very positive message. Now, if you like preachers that are short, you like Jonah because his message is only eight words long. His message might have been short, but his message goes against the, the Old Testament model for prophets going into a city and preaching to it. Their message was simple. The typical Old Testament formula was this. Tell everyone that they're really bad people, but tell them that they know a God that can save them. But Jonah's message gives no mention of God or the possibility of ever being saved from their destruction. But even though Jonah misses some of the typical message, some of the typical Old Testament message, something interesting happens. In verse 5, it says, the, the people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Even though it wasn't a whole message, people took him seriously and repented. The king of the city even gets involved. He, he says in verse 8, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Verse 9 says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger, anger from destroying us. The king probably doesn't even know about a God who has any grace. He just refers to the one who creates, but they're still thinking, maybe he'll have pity on us. Verse 10 says, when God saw that they, all that they had done and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he threatened. 
This is the happy ending. This is usually where, where the kids' version ends. We kiss them and they say, we say goodnight. And Jonah obeyed God. God saved people because he loves people. But that's not all that happened. There is a chapter four and the story goes on. In chapter four, we see the ugly side of Jonah. We discover the real reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. If he could have written his story, this part probably wouldn't have been a part that he told. But I'm glad he gets to tell it because in some ways, when I'm really honest, I can see myself in chapter four. Jonah chapter four, verse one says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. To Jonah, it seemed wrong that God would honor the repentance of the Ninevites. I could see myself acting this way. And maybe you could too. Maybe you just broken up with your boyfriend and it was an ugly breakup. Now you notice on Instagram that he's hanging out with someone who you think is prettier than you. How do you feel about that girl that's dating your ex-boyfriend? Do you hope that they do well with their relationship or do you sort of hope that they go for a bike ride and she falls off her bike and scrapes her face? Some of you may have secretly turned that into a prayer. <laughs> it's hard for you to think, I wish them well. I don't know if Jonah's reaction was much different than many of ours would be. It's almost like he wasn't afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. He was afraid of what God would do for the Ninevites. He was afraid that God would extend his grace and mercy to them. Jonah didn't like them and didn't want what was best for them. He wanted God to dislike them as much as he did. He knew God would forgive them. And this is where the story takes a stranger twist. Jonah is saying in verse two, I knew that if you'd give them an opportunity, they'd repent and you'd forgive them. You wouldn't punish them unless you absolutely had to. I'm mad that you're not punishing them the way that I think that they deserve. If I were God, things would be way different. If you ever wonder about God's love, this is the verse, it's, and it's even in the Old Testament. God is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now you think, after all that, Jonah would be happy. But instead of rejoicing, Jonah is angry. Verse 3 in chapter 4, Jonah says, Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Maybe this is why this story is in the kid's Bible, because he's pouting like a child. After all these people turn to God, Jonah isn't happy. He's suicidal. Take my life. It's better for me to die than the Ninevites to live. Jonah's problem was that he'd surrendered to the moral law of God, but not the purposes of his life. He knew what was right and wrong, but he'd never asked, God, what do you want me to do for you? He never made himself fully available to what God was up to in the world. I remember one night driving home and I was having a great time with God. I, I was praying things like, God, whatever you want in my life, I'm there for you. God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. No sooner did I pray that than up ahead, I saw these flashing taillights of a car. The night was a little bit foggy as I pulled up. There were two guys, they were pushing the car through this intersection. As I was getting closer, I heard this small, still voice in my head saying, Troy, do you want to do whatever I ask you? Troy, help those guys. Immediately, I started arguing with God and made excuses. And <laughs> like, God, this is how every teenage horror movie starts. Someone helping strange people on a foggy night. God, have you never seen a horror movie? Well, of course not. I guess you're God. <laughs> I quickly stopped praying and turned up the radio. 
10 minutes later, I, I, I was sitting at a red light feeling this tremendous guilt. So I prayed a different prayer this time. I said, God, if that was really you, now before I tell you what I, I said, I, I could have prayed anything, but I prayed, God, if that was really you, let me get pulled over by a police officer tonight. Now, I, I don't know why I prayed that, but the light turned green and I entered in the intersection and I actually had to get into the left lane to get on the highway and this car beside me would not let me get into their lane. I went a little faster, they went a little faster. And finally, I just floored it and pulled into the lane, kind of cutting the car off. One thing I didn't notice about this car, it had a magical red light in the front dashboard. As soon as I pulled to cut this guy off, a little red light went on. It was magical because I'd never driven as safe. I signaled, shoulder check, signaled. I pulled all the way over to the right lane. A police officer pulled me over that night for speeding. I learned my lesson. Now, I don't know why God answered that prayer, not the others. You know, like the prayers that we all pray, to be rich and famous and be good looking like Brad Pitt. That night, I was like Jonah. I was satisfied with being a very good person. I thought it stopped at just saying the words. But I was someone who had trouble surrendering to God's personal will. I missed that saying those words had to be backed up with action. I was satisfied with saying all the right things, but my actions weren't backing it up. It came to the point where Jonah had become an obstacle to the grace and love that God had for his world. Here's a question that all good church people should ask. God, have I ever surrendered to your purposes in the world? Am I available to my culture to be an extension of your grace and compassion and love to anyone that my life intersects with? I think that if the church had stayed surrendered to his purposes in the world, it wouldn't be as marginalized as we are. And people who, who need to hear would be experiencing the compassion and love of God. So we pick up our story in chapter four, verse four. God asks Jonah a question. He says, is it right for you to be angry about this? Me extending my grace to people who need it? Didn't, Jonah, didn't you need my grace a few weeks ago? Remember when you were treading water after those guys threw you overboard to stop the storm? God asks the question, but Jonah is quiet. There's no record of him answering the question. Jonah just sits on a hill and overlooks Nineveh to see what God will do. I kind of think he wanted a front row seat to see God's judgment poured down on the city. But as Jonah is sitting there pouting, God doesn't forget him. God sends a plant there to shade him. Then God sends a worm and it eats the stem of the plant and the plant dies. Then it gets hot. And now there's nowhere for Jonah to get shade. Now he's hot and he's ticked off. Why? Because the plant died. Verse 9 says, Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. <laughs> Jonah, you seem very concerned for a plant. Verse 11, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Here's God's final word. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah, you care more about this plant that came and went very quickly than the 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Jonah, you should be rejoicing. God was saying, Jonah, you're concerned about all the wrong stuff. You're a good man. You're a law keeper, but your concerns don't reflect my concerns. Maybe God turns to me and asks, Troy, I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? 
well, God, the people who live behind me, they have parties that go really late, and I can't get any sleep. Could you do something about that? God says, I'm concerned with people who have walked away from the church, and from me, what, what are you concerned about? Well, the music is too loud. The building's too cold. This church isn't meeting my needs. What are you concerned about? If we were honest, all of us have had the sin of Jonah at some point in our lives. Want to know when you have the sin of Jonah? When your religion is all about you. When you say things like, I get to die and go to heaven. When you only pray things for yourself, God, you know, help me find a good parking spot. It's raining and I'm having a good hair day. Some of us pray more for good parking spots than our neighbors. When it's all, God, help me, bless me. This story is not just about surrendering to the moral will of God. It's not just about being a good person. It's about someone whose religion has become all about them. At times, we have feelings of compassion, but we don't do very much about it on a weekly basis. There's very little time and resource to what, what, what we're seeing God do in our generation and working with God in this generation. So what I want you to do is just think about that for a minute. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, and I'll come back for a few more thoughts. I kind of wish that we have learned the end of this story of Jonah. There's a chapter four, but no chapter five, but we can write a chapter five in our lives. We don't have to be the people who are constantly complaining about what's going on, complaining about things that just don't matter. So let me ask you some questions. What would it look like that when you're presented to serve or give that you don't talk yourself out of it? Why don't you take your time, your resources, and intersect them with the purposes, the purposes of God? Think of what we could do if, if, if we could all submit not just to God's moral will for our lives, God's God's personal will for our lives and God's global purposes for the rest of the world. I really believe that our greatest potential isn't a speaker or an event or a sermon. It's a group of Christians who live moral lives in our community so that the love, compassion, and grace of God becomes almost irresistible. And the only way for that to happen, for all of us, is to engage with our Heavenly Father with what He wants to do in our little world and make a bigger world. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this story of Jonah. We're so grateful for this example of someone who, who cares about the wrong thing. This week, Lord, I pray that we would all just see how you are working within our neighborhoods, within our lives. And Lord, we would learn what it takes just to partner with you as you're impacting people we live with, we work with, and we might even study with. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.